Susan, thank you very much for that very fulsome and generous introduction. And thank you in particular for naming all the wonderful staff at this institution who make this event possible, down to every last detail and securing wonderful listings in the press and uh, having the room so ably set up for us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me, uh, let me welcome our panel. Uh, Joe Fife on the far left here, my far left, your far right. Uh, Joe is an uh, art critic for Gay City News, and he is a painter. He uh, is represented by JG Contemporary and will participate in a group show of works on paper at Tracy Williams uh, in, in uh, the West Village uh, this, this coming January. He's a contributing editor of artcritical.com and Bomb Magazine, and he also writes for Art in America and Art on Paper, and has curated many exhibitions. Andrea Scott is art editor of Time Out New York. Uh, previously in her career, she has been critic for New Yorker magazine and a contributor to Freeze magazine. Before her relatively recent uh, formal beginnings as, as a professional art critic, uh, she worked in the multimedia industry and for three years produced Arda Web, um, a website based in New York City, which is uh, now in the collection of the Walker Arts Center in Minneapolis. Uh, Roberta Smith is no uh, newcomer to the uh, great profession of art criticism. She's a redoubtable and long-standing um, art critic of the New York Times, and before that uh, wrote for The Village Voice and uh, uh, her scholarly work, her many catalogue essays, and scholarly work includes uh, her contribution towards the, the catalogue raisonné of the work of Donald Judd. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our panel. I'd actually like to single out and say a special thank you to Graham White. Um, Graham is not part of the Academy staff here, but he's... Um, he's a freelancer and uh, seconded to us from, from Colombia and is very kindly recording these events. And that's something I'd actually like to mention, is that um, thanks to his very, very skillful uh, technical work, we have available, we have posted online uh, review panel number one. Two of the participants uh, are in fact here in our audience this evening. Uh, we welcome them, Jerry Saltz and uh, Ken Johnson and Maureen Mulaki and I were criticizing uh, four exhibitions. You can, if you missed the event, you can hear it online. If you go to artcritical.com slash review panel, it's there to be heard. And uh, subsequent review panels may also be available subject to the uh, consent of participants. Well, there was a, um, a flutter of anxiety from one of my panelists this evening when... Um, it was I. It was she. <laughs> when she saw the order in which I put the uh, PowerPoint, thinking, oh, my God, we're not going to start with Gilbert George, are we? Um, and one can agonize for, for hours. And you've got four shows, which, which order to put them in. It's like uh, seating a dinner party. It can be the difference between uh, he heaven and hell to have the right people next to each other. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm one of those, uh, well, men, I guess, who likes, once you've made a decision, you stick with it. Um, <laughs> so we're going to me. stick with it. <laughs> Start the evening with a little essentialism, as we're going to be looking at various videos and paintings that deal with 
sexuality and identity. In fact, three of our four artists probably do, but that's, again, a value judgment. Anyway, we're starting with Gilbert and George. Anyone have a strong, instant reaction to the work of Gilbert and George? Yes. Yes, Andrea. I did not care for the shows. Um, and I wanted to, and in the past I've responded. Can you hear me? Rather, okay. Now? Can you hear me now? <laughs> I feel like that cell phone ad. Can you hear me now? Um, in the past when the work has dealt, just as... Um, what word do I want to use? I mean, there's something of the vaudeville in their work. There's something of the kind of shrill, intentionally shrill. Um, when the subject, the last show I remember seeing in 97, which I think was the last show in New York, and it dealt with the scatological and the urological and um, also with their identity as gay men, and it was just as shrill and garish in its palette, and, um, but it had an effect on me that this show... Um, first of all, as, as David said in introducing me, I'm a friend of the digital. And I felt that this was a very... Um, I didn't feel their work benefited in any way from an experimentation with the digital. There, I guess you guys all saw the show. There's an image where they make themselves cyclops, and I just felt there was something monocular in the work. I felt that... Um, there's one very, I thought, compelling piece, which was... Um, Photographs of graffiti that are placed in like little keyholes in, in an image. Um, the actual photograph, which they've used in their work before, that piece had a power that making Rorschachs out of images of, of graffiti tags just, just didn't have for me. And when it came to um, taking on the Muslim culture, like the brick lane that we let in with, or the devout, I just found it r racist, but I'm afraid to say the word, I guess, in a way that um, I couldn't untangle, I couldn't make sense of. Um, it was, I felt it was almost a little... Well, that's the, you've, you've hit on what I think are technically and iconographically the big themes or innovations of this body of Gilbert and George's work. Technically, that they've moved into the digital. Uh, they're actually using Photoshop uh, to manipulate images. And uh, iconographically, they, they live in brick... They live in the east end of London in an area which has uh, a very large uh, Bengali community and um, Islamism is, is, is a daily fact for them and, I, and it, it clearly is the theme or uh, it inflects the theme of the, the current show. Um, Roberta, how, how are you getting on with the show? How, how, does, how does Photoshop treat Golden George? I'm not thrilled about the digital aspect but I, I didn't think it was, I, I liked it more than Andrea did. Um, I'm just sort of amazed that they're still at it and that they still, that there's always a kind of coldness to their work. It's not something that I can really imagine living with, but I just think their engagement with the world around them, which I don't really think has changed. I mean, you could talk about them exploiting street kids or, mm -hmm. or young punks mm -hmm. in, in the past, but I do think that they are kind of, they have this voraciousness that gives their work uh, an undeniable energy and that they're, there's something really stupid and yet kind of wonderful about them where they're just, they're just trying to get a visual effect by moving all these things around and doing different things to them. And what happens when you take graffiti and put it in a, a computer so it comes out chromed and things. And I thought they... I mean, it was the first time I ever thought of the fact that they, their house is full of designs, of uh, objects designed by Christopher Dresser, 
And if you know Dresser's work, there's a very, he's completely involved with these kind of anthropom, these, these mergings of the decorative and the anthropomorphic. And I, I don't know, I just thought of that, and I thought that, that a lot of that was, had to do with what they were doing with pants. I don't know if you noticed <laughs> that, but there was a way that the pants were doing all these, becoming these strange objects like peg legs or different kinds of, uh, I don't know, panels and decorative things. Um, I didn't think it was their greatest show, but they've, you know, I didn't think it was that different than what they've done before. Um, well, I thought it was really funny, first of all. I think they're hilarious. Um, just the way they kind of like mug uh, up on those things, which, um, you know, something they've done for a while. But for some reason, there was something funnier this time because there were these, these photo transformations taking place that um, reminded me a little of these things that Ouija did late in his career, where these, these eyes kind of collapsed into one almost like a funhouse mirror. And um, so I thought that the work was was funny and scary and um, it, for, in very specific ways. Um, first of all, I think that it was interesting that the work was kind of grounded in in basic modernism, one which is how a lot of it comes from the street, you know, which goes back to the idea of like, you know, Baudelaire and bring the street into your work and stuff like that. And the other was just kind of like, um, you know, shock the bourgeoisie. Um, and it seemed like that's what the work was kind of doing. It was about um, what's scary in the modern world to maybe the bourgeoisie. And that could be mugging gay men, graffiti, um, strange Islamic uh, writing or men. You know, and the stuff was all kind of coming at you this way and kind of flipping like a kaleidoscope. So, um, you know, it was probably the one, the one show that it was kind of like I wasn't in love with, but I didn't have any problem with because it had like good energy and I was completely clear about what was going on. Yeah, it's funny you say sort of épaté le, le bourgeois. I mean, I certainly felt it made me feel middle class. Because, but then their work always does. I, 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 I've never failed to have what I assume to be the anticipated and desired uh, visceral uh, reaction, which is revulsion. But I guess <laughs> it's just the, the, the sheer tackiness of the work, their sort of almost hatred of color. But I, at the same time, you know, um, I think it's an. I think. I'm, my, my tastes haven't changed, but my notion of taste has changed to the extent that whereas earlier in my career I would just shudder with indignation at the sight of Gilbert and George, now I can say, yes, okay, it's revolting, that's interesting. Um, maybe just listening to uh, Joe talk there, it, it occurs to me that in a very funny way they are at the opposite end of this long process which began with Matisse in that they are, um, are doing something similar in, this, in the respect that they are kind of using... For the, uh, a new technology uh, and fusing it with a kind of orientalism to produce these kind of flat decorative things, but with the opposite effect, one of uh, creating revulsion rather than delight. Well, actually, I thought another thing about scaring the bourgeois was just the fact that uh, the technical finesse of the thing was, was kind of like beyond people. It's another thing that's kind of scary. But what technical I don't think it's beyond anybody. I don't know. I thought they, they looked like very expensive, complicated things to me. I, I don't mean, think, maybe, actually, if you look at them... Maybe they, they, look, maybe they no, just scared me. They're they look less interesting to me than the previous work that had something of the haptic in it. I don't know. The, this was work that was not 
this, you know, build is their first experimentation with the digital, I found it more puerile in a way that didn't, that wasn't subversive, that didn't scare me. I mean, one thing when you talk about the middle class, I do wonder if my response to, because when you talk about the choir boys, I wondered why didn't that get under my skin? Why wasn't I made as uncomfortable by the use of those images as I was by the digitally, maybe part of it is the digitally created black faces and that devout that we looked at. Mm -hmm. I just, I was made very uncomfortable by it, but I will say that the discomfort has sat with me in a way that's provoked questions. Um, thinking about an artist, though, who've been at it for a long time, as Roberta said, um, John Baldessari's show right now at, at Marion Goodman is an exhilarating show for me because it's somebody, take, it's somebody who you think at 73 has like earned the right to just keep doing what they do well, well. And instead, he's taken his work in a new direction and added this these layers, um, there's relief in the work now. And it ju I just found it exciting that someone could take their vocabulary and continue to push it in a way that I didn't see Gilbert and George doing in this show. Their strengths remained strong, but there was something... I, I think you have to be a very devoted Baldessari fan to feel that he's moved his language forward exponentially. I mean, in, count in, me in. Instead well, of instead of painting discs on the surface, he's cut some the same shapes and colours into the plexi, so it goes back a couple of inches. And uh, taken photograph into the dimension, which is mm, I mean, maybe when we get to Tuttle, they look like Baldessaris from three hundred miles. You, know, you can tell they're Baldessaris if you're flying over Marion Goodman's gallery in an aeroplane. I mean, but <laughs> let's not get on to Baldessari. I mean, Gilbert and George. Um, Andrea, you felt that there was... Well, I don't think... I didn't even realize that, that Photoshop or digital was involved. I don't find them all that different mm. than the previous Wisely, work. So you didn't I don't read the press release first. <laughs> well, well, I think even wise. if you didn't read the press release, though, you'd notice that they're actually printed in a they're more grainy print than usual. I, I realize they're actually quite... I, I realized for the first time how cheap and easy they are to do. I've always, I've always actually had, yes, a, a sense of the a finesse. Retirement plan. All it takes is a camera, David. You could. You don't even need you a camera. Need you both did, of them. You didn't need. You don't need the camera. You hardly need the camera. You could just download their images and get playing with it. Even I could on, you know, a, my little Mac at home. And then they're just framed. They're not even that big when they're printed out. You could probably print them at home. Well, you know, I was looking at the, the, the photo grains and some of those strokes of graffiti and the way they kind of didn't clash with the kind of photo graininess in the suits of Gilbert and George against the kind of matte grounds and stuff. And I thought, you know, I thought it was, was much more complex than what I remember them doing, hmm. you know, which was kind of like uh, high contrast images with, uh, you know, a solid field. These seem very complex to me. I thought they were... I was really impressed. I thought I was looking at something really expensive. And you were. Well, you were. And, you were. and at the same time, usually when I look at expensive art, I think, I'm looking at expensive art, and I shouldn't be thinking about how much this costs. Usually, I think that's a bad thing. Right. And this, I was thinking that it was worth it. Whatever it cost, this, you know, this, this stuff was working, you know. I think it was the two-venue nature of the show that also kind of got to me. The Just so much of... And the crammed-inness, yes. The, it's not exactly a light hang, was it? Not an enemy of the crammed-in, necessarily, but just the... Yeah, the two-venue, blue-chip, blue-chip. It was just two 80s for you. It was two 80s for me. That's exactly right. It was in Chelsea, but that is it in a funny way. I think one of the scary things they're dealing with is getting old. That's and I like that about it, that that they're that you know 
they're just keeping on being themselves and they're actually sort of exploiting their own deterioration in, in the way they double and merge into things like that. I felt that more in the last body of work than in this, though. I mean, but it, I'll tell you that, I will say, this isn't kind, but I thought of Pat Boone wearing a punk rock collar. Do you remember this picture from whenever it was taken? And it's not a very good analogy because I don't think that Gilbert and George are the Pat Boone. I mean, I have more regard for them than that. But there was something... Uh, for me, clumsy in, in the use of some of the of the tags. I, I don't know. The tags didn't work formally for me. They didn't integrate. Well, of course, here we are, four art critics discussing it in in, in rather high flutin terms. But they they build themselves for all of their work is for sale at very high prices in Chelsea and two swank galleries. They build themselves as being as making art for the people, art for everyone. And they, they lay an enormous emphasis in the rhetoric that accompanies their work in their uh, sort of universal appeal and in their sort of dealing with uh, real life. And it, are, we, are we seeing that just as a sort of another sort of layer of rhetoric or does, does this work help us um, uh, appreciate that they're succeeding in, in some way in, in, that, in that aim? Well, they, it did, not to exactly answer your question, but it reminded me a little bit of um, the playwright Alan Bennett and that dialogue he had for all those years with the, the homeless uh, woman that was living in his front yard in a car. Yeah. And the way that they stayed in that neighborhood because it really was kind of a dialogue, you know, the work does represent a dialogue with uh, a marginalized population. Oh well, what know. then? Then that's that's Does a very that yeah, work that, represent mm. a dialogue with a marginalized population? Well, they live maybe among, but does the work really? It doesn't um, for me. It, I have it, to say. It, uh, they eat in the curry houses that are owned by the grandparents of the kids that they're photographing and using in their work. But um, um, are they really engaging with their values? What 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 with the Islamism in this work? What is it? Is it commenting on it? Is it just showing it? Is it critiquing it? What was really going on with that stuff? I thought I was saying this is this is in the this is the world now. It's very complicated. There are lots of different things in it. You walk out, exactly. you see this stuff on the walls, and this we're taking it off the walls, and this is what we can do with it in a work of art. We're just going to bring it right in from the street and do something with it. And I I've never really thought that I think that there's a way they kind of elevate. There's a, there's a form of appreciation going on between them and their subjects. And the way they and I felt that most like most at the Sonnabend show because that's where there were there were less of Gilbert and George and more of other people. Right. Mm. But the you know and I also think I, I sort of miss the stained glass quality of the of the of previous work which had, which had more intense mm. color. But there's a way that they're always I think often the way the figures are arranged and things they're making a kind of religious art the way they're mm -hmm. flanking the way they center mm -hmm. figures and. You know, sometimes they're gargoyles and sometimes they're saints and sometimes the people in the middle are the saints. But there's, it's very complex what they do. And it's just, I find it amazing to see them just make it happen. I think kaleidoscope is, is the right word, but that's really, it really takes in their whole process in a very exact way. You know, this kind of cut and paste and the way things move and I don't know. You know, I think... I mean, maybe a flat when you think about what they've done in sort of the trajectory of their whole career, they're just, this is just sort of another show for them. And I also mm. think, you know, if you want to make a case about digital, they've only used it for three years. So right. what they could be doing in... So what they do in Venice next year, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... Well, you're swaying me. 
Oh, Andrea's feeling That's swayed. Are you are you no longer then indignant at the racism that you? Uh, why I'm not, you know, David. I think the one the other thing you, you mentioned is that I think they they say art for all, yes. which is what the slogan that the YBAs picked up, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they're kind of legitimate parents to the YBAs. And They've also, now been taken up by the White Cube Gallery, so they show in the same space as Damien Hirst. And, and isn't there a thing that goes through a lot of British art that has to do with the language of the tabloids? And oh, yes, yes, that. there is. Yes, artists yeah, like Sarah Lucas. And, right. uh, yeah, and that even, sort of originates, I don't know if it originates in them, but there's a kind of, Tim there's Noble certainly, like there's, a, there's one tabloid work there that's mm -hmm. all tabloid headings. So. Well, they're not all tabloids. The New York Times is there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure okay. the critic yeah. of the New York Times wouldn't right, want right. Okay. a paper to be called right. tabloid. But, yeah, I, I think that goes... Um, on the other hand, you know, if you look at Picasso and Braque, there's a lot of tabloids in the um, analytic cubist... Um, Spirit, but but it goes back to your point about Baudelaire and and the city, but it also goes back. I think in, if you're talking about British art, there is. I mean, you can go to the same gallery now, the White Cube, and see Gilbert and George, Sarah Lucas, and Lucian Freud. Now you might say that's quite a spread, but they all do share something of this spirit that uh, was first articulated by Walter S Richard Sickert, where he said that. Um, uh, you know, a painting doesn't belong in the uh, boudoir or the parlor. It, it belongs in the scullery. It's, uh, it's, it's, it concerns itself with gross material facts. And certainly in the shit and piss period, um, uh, Gilbert and George were embracing uh, gross material facts. Um, I think, though, I think that there's a... That um, th with their work, their new work with uh, Islamic culture... I was I had very split ambivalent feeling. I, I thought they're both very positive and negative. The positive thought was the one that I articulated about the the, the kind of new Orientalism, um, but the negative is that here are a couple of guys who get excited by the, the the anger and energy of working class males around them, and they bring it into their art. Now you might say, well, that's that's great because that's who they are and that's what they do, um, but um, I guess I, I, it's not a moral indignation. It's, it's only an aesthetic reaction of displeasure. But then I suppose if I'm honest and then confront my own attitudes when I'm looking at it, that the displeasure isn't maybe aesthetic. It's personal. I don't know. But um, do other people sense that they are energizing their own work with the kind of sexual feeling that they have about angry working class males around them? Well, could you give them credit for being more, more overt about it? I, well, I mean, I think what you're talking about is there's, you know, what, should we talk about what animates all art? I mean... <laughs> yes, okay, why not? That's it's, probably gonna, it's probably going to be related to a sexual feeling about something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> maybe not. Well, or a powerful <laughs> feeling about something. No. But their work, you mentioned religious, uh, the religious theme. I, I think their work is, is always about power, isn't it? It's all, it's, it always seems to be about power. <coughs> well, this is the thing. I think this work was about fear. Well, so, yeah, as was the last work, I think, dealing with bodily fluids and being gay was dealing with fear. I, I do think that bringing in um, Islamic culture, it resonated for me when Joe said that that's more about the places that scare us than um, about... Mm -hmm. Responding to a sort of a male energy. Well, there, there's been that. you know there's been riots for quite a while in England, um, 
you know, back to when uh, this, the uh, satanic verses was, you know, so it's, there's, there's history there too. Yes, and the, the election leaflet that they picked up and made a central part of one of their works uh, warned uh, good Muslims not to take part in the upcoming general election because right, right. only the Sharia represents perfect law. Right. And if they vote at all for any party, they'll be helping to validate uh, what the, well, they, they list various ills, one of them uh, pornography, homosexuality, and support for Zionism. So if you, if you, whoever you vote for, if you merely take part in the election, you're endorsing those, those ills. Now, they're identifying their own distance from the culture that they nonetheless find at a certain level energetic and, and appealing. Yeah, I just didn't, uh, you know, in earlier work, you know, it was obvious they had street kids there that were sex objects, but I didn't really see, I didn't, I don't remember, I didn't see that being the point of this work at all, or even, like, really present that much. I didn't understand, I still, that devout image, I just am struggling to make some sense of it, and maybe, I mean, art can't always be made sense of, but it... It looks like the same uh, figure that's somehow being mutated digitally into some kind of doll-like figure... Um, I don't know if it's if it's if, if it's a particular image we should know if it's a known suicide bomber or something or whether it's just a, a young man from Brick uh, from uh, Brick Lane. Um, but it's what is what what did, did you get it, Roberta? I think we should go on to the next show. Yes, well, I think we should. Um, <laughs> I remain deeply ambivalent, but what we way. certainly can do is is as as is our tradition here. After each um, segment, we have a. Uh, a few minutes in which uh, the audience can let off steam and make comments on what, <laughs> on what uh, we've missed and what they've we noticed. We prefer steam to comments. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't need to be specifically directed questions. I, I would ask a favor that um, it won't actually amplify your voice, but it will help our recording if, if when you speak you take the mic that's passed to you. Um, so did I see a, a hand here? Uh, yeah, Ken. Uh, you haven't really talked much about Gilbert and George featuring themselves and the point of that. I've always found it sort of... Un- I've never found it very exciting that their their interest in themselves as performers, maybe because they're translating into a fixed medium. If they, if they were like Abbott and Costello or the Smothers Brothers doing stuff in video, <laughs> wouldn't that be more interesting? Why the static medium? And, and are they really so interesting to look at? I, I, I've never, I never quite got that. Yeah, we'll take a few more comments and then we'll come back to them. But thank you very much for that. Uh, is Deborah Garwood there? Yeah. I I got a universal feeling, a sort of <coughs> cosmological feeling, partly because um, there's two of them. I thought of the twins, and with the 2004 repeated, I kind of started thinking about calendars and time. And uh, when Roberta mentioned religious imagery, I think that. Um, I, I agreed with that. I mean, I found that too. But there was something sort of prophetic about uh, one in particular where they made themselves into a kind of stingray, you know, like a flying saucer over the city, the city tiny below. So I thought, you know, something prophetic, cosmological, um, universal. I think, you know, I, I definitely got the religious reading like Roberta. And the, also the twins, the Gemini, the Dioscuri, you know. So thanks. Thank you. Um, any anyone else in the audience bursting to speak, or shall we um, yeah, over the side of the room? Um, regarding the Islamic um, uh, 
stuff in their work, I uh, honestly didn't find it necessarily offensive, just plain stupid, but um, but uh, what you said, David, was kind of interesting, this new Orientalism being a positive thing, and also your reference to this uh, a group of people who uh, called for the boycott of the election in the UK. Uh, that's only one group of people. Let it be clear, that's not the Muslims of the UK. And uh, that's what I had to say. Thank you. Well, that's that's a very valid point, of course. That, that what the, what Gilbert and George are lighting on is, for them, the most sexy and exciting and fearful and dangerous aspect of Islamism, which is... Uh, of Islam, which is Islamism, which is the, the very radical extreme uh, for which they can find some evidence in their locale, um, but which, of course, is not uh, in any way typical of, of, of British Muslims or Muslims anywhere, one hopes, and what one knows. Uh, to get to Ken's question? Yes. Are they so interesting? <laughs> well, they, you know, they started out considering themselves sculpture, and that's their they, whole idea, uh, that they are... Living sculpture. They are their living work, sculpture. and their, the sculpture... I mean, the work is completely about them, whether it's drinking or walking in the park or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, maybe if they were, I, I don't, you know, I guess they're not that great to look at, but <laughs> I'm sort of used to them by now. <laughs> Once again, I just think they're really funny. I just look at them and I crack up. I, think, I, th- I thought it was a very funny show. That's certainly very amusing if you meet them in person. I've, I've been out for dinner with them. They're very charming um, <laughs> and very generous hosts. Um, I'd like to make one more connection. I think that there's a, like if there are some graduate students in the audience, I do think that the Dresser, Gilbert, and George connection, particularly mm. with David bringing up the word uh, Orientalism, and also with Ken's point, because I don't like Dresser's figures either. I mean, and Dresser made a mm. Much too much work. So we, we could, it was actually there was a show of his just over the road um, uh, earlier this year, wasn't right. there? Of, um, yes, so are you encouraging the graduate students to to look or boycott um, uh, dresser? <laughs> they had similar creepy my, creatures. My point was just that the question: Are they putting their energies into the wrong medium? No. But what would the right medium be? Performing, yeah, yeah, singing, sculpture. Well, that's sculpture? where they started. That's no. where they started. Obviously, they, their, their, their great performance was here in New York at the Sonnabend Gallery. They, they, they stood on a table. Their paint, faces were painted gold. Because that wasn't all that funny, maybe. I mean, for eight yeah. hours they sung underneath the arches. Yes. <laughs> well, they 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 they're careerists and populists, and you can you can spread your fame far further by producing a huge body of flat images than you can by standing on a table in New York singing underneath the arches for eight hours with your faces <laughs> painted gold. That was that video, actually. <laughs> but Gilbert and George, like the poor, will always be with us. So <laughs> let's, move on to something, let's move on to something that perhaps some of us found more richer and more engaging, and that's uh, the exhibition of three videos by the Danish uh, younger artist um, uh, uh, Jasper Joost. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Any Danish speakers here? Am I doing an injustice to just and calling him used? I think we'll call him used. We'll get used to it. We'll get used to it, yes. Okay. That was his pun, not mine. Please. Um, Is this an interesting follow-on from Gilbert and George, or are they on different planets? They're definitely on the same planet. 
But it's all on the same planet. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're closer together on the same planet than than the rest, yeah. Well, very much so, because I think that um, I was looking at videos of singing sculptures. For me, though, there was an incredible um, depth of emotion in my response to the Jesper used, who I thought successfully used sort of the melodramatic and the the um, movie musical, which I am a great fan. There was a pathos that's there's something for me in Gilbert and George that's, that for me just stays on the surface, um, which isn't a bad thing. I'll, but um, so they're almost there's a polarity there. They're on those different planets. You could almost say that Gilbert and George come out of vaudeville and that they come out of the silver screen, that Yus comes out of the screen. silver screen. I wondered if, I, I don't know if you had it here in America, but we had a very, very successful um, uh, Dennis um, Potter, Potter, Dennis Potter uh, the play, detective. The Singing Detective. I, I don't know if they had it in Denmark, but it seems if they did, that it would be a definite influence on Joost. Uh, these characters uh, played yeah, by I Michael Gambon. You did have it also here, Also paintings, uh, pennies. Pennies from Heaven. Pennies from Heaven, the movie, yeah. exactly. It's been a movie twice, yeah. It's a great trope. I mean, it's um, you have this, <coughs> these characters who break into this uh, very schmaltzy, um, uh, emotional, but at the same time kitsch kind of um, musicality. It has, a, but it has an undertow to it. I yeah, think that I, I think that in a way, for me, Juice was dealing. It's sort of the inversion of what Gilbert and George are in that. Gilbert and George, these older men have a certain feeling toward younger men, and this seemed all about uh, a younger man's fixation with older men, older men, and you know, right. reaching out or not to them. I don't know. I like them a lot. I just my issue with that is sort of, is this really good music video or is this, you know, I mean I I know that's kind of, I'm not going to say it's not art, but I just mm-hmm. think it's. I think that the way a lot of video becomes music video is sometimes a problem. I thought that the way he used sound just as a kind of visceral that ringing phone thing was mm-hmm. the way things were exaggerated or, or like the space between the phone rings was too, was, there was too much space between them. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there were irregular spaces yeah. between them, yes. That was very arty. I th- yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I actually felt less... Um, his turn. It's Joe's turn. It's my turn? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, um, I saw the videos once, and I thought that, in a way, what they were about was similar to what um, Bruce, I think Bruce Delsberger does, where he takes uh, mercantile artistic films like... Uh, I think he had Clockwork Orange in the last show, and he has, you know, people dressed in drag do... The parts and and it it what it does is it kind of um, points up how even these films that are supposed to be so radical actually are kind of heterosexist, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and for some the thing that bothered me about it was that I didn't understand why the production values and the used work were um, were necessary because Delsberger uh, doesn't really do that. They're more, they're, they look more handmade, as I remember. So I went and I saw it again, and um, what really happened was, I, 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 was I, I had been thinking that in a way I was looking at um, how to look, this is kind of complicated, but I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I, was, I was looking at Houston, then thinking, this is how you look at David Lynch through John Curran. Right, 
And what it made me finally do is understand uh, Eust and Curran and Yuskevich in a way I hadn't, I hadn't understood them before, which is that to a certain extent, all that work is abstract more than I think the, the narrative is, is really important because I think that in every case, I want to stay, stay used, what they're doing is they're taking these representational conventions from, uh, you know, in Yuskevich's case from, you know, greeting cards and Playboy cartoons and stuff, and Curran from Norman Rockwell and the way that people learn to repaint, you know, paint photo, uh, paintings from photographs. So it's a, there's, they're cobbling together these, these conventions of representation in a new way. And I think that's what Eust is doing too with these pieces of film. So I thought that in the end I was looking at sculpture that was being sculpted by um, high production values in film. Because, you know, the, the, the way that, um, why else would um, the production values be so high, you know? And why would he arrest those figures into those um, artificial, you know, what he does is he chooses the moment in uh, Singing Detective, Pennies from Heaven, and also I thought of um, Magnolia where the characters sort of burst out of their roles and start, they all start singing the same song together. What it does is it really magnifies the artifice of film, you know, and all of a sudden you see, the, you know, mm. actors and lighting and everything. And so I really ended up thinking that Eust was kind of like making sculpture with film, with uh, uh, the way uh, film representations. Well, so it was actually mm. kind of abstract. I mean, I was yeah. suspicious at first of the high production values because mm. I just always am. I had the same initial problem with uh, Pippi Lottie Wrist. But um, I think that becomes a kind of inverted snobbery to go around galleries and getting worried that something's too well made, it should be in the cinema, it's, not, it's too good for the gallery. I think the reason to make it as well as you can is to achieve what um, most filmmakers, or well, most artists, but certainly most filmmakers want, which is a kind of transparency, so that, as you say, you can pounce at the moments you want to and, and create those complications that make the work opaque. But generally, you want to uh, wow and mesmerize the viewer, don't you, so that the experience is transparent. You just go straight into exactly the, the, the pitch of emotion that the artist is trying to convey. Well, and he's dealing with, you know, forgive me, but the gaze, um, he's dealing with the vernacular of film for me very much. I mean, it's, 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 if anything, my question wouldn't be, is it a music video, but is it not just a very, very short movie? Um, so the high That's what I thought it was. I thought I had like well, a... Well, it's really a, a collage of movies because yeah. there's a constantly, you know, at a certain point, it sort of starts out by this idyllic, you know, the young, bo young boy in the wheat field, and then all of a sudden you think he's going to an assignation with an right. older man, and then he's, you know... But each thing... It's like a it evokes an entire genre. It does, yeah. Um, I just it just seems like he has a different sense. I think I prefer Delsberger's uh, sensibility because it is so that it is so full of collage. But that's just that's that's just what he's choosing to do. It's just like Gilbert and George going digital, right? I don't transparency doesn't bother me. I think we're beyond, you know, production values are hmm. are easy to get to by now with the technology. And there well, are just enough galleries and enough artists that you better be good as well. But it doesn't have to high, have high production values to be good. But I think he was interested in, in giving you this seamless thing awesome. that wasn't seamless, whereas mm -hmm. Delsberger is always interest, wants you to see every single cut and paste and tape. 
-hmm. You know, and so, you know, you think, oh, yeah, I'm in a different movie now. And you just... Well, there was that one montage in the the, the long, what's it called, Bliss and... Um, Heaven. That, Heaven. You know, it was kind of a break in the middle. But, you know, everything I looked at, uh, you know, the close-up that we had up here of, of the lip and the piece of the phone, you know, it just all looked so sculptural. And mm -hmm. then um, in the, the film that was uh, out front, when he had that boy in front of um, a bunch of... The painting. Yeah, in the, the kind painting, of um, it was actually type that, that actually seemed like he was tipping his hand. Like, okay, here's bodies in two-dimensional painted representation, and here's my painted body in this film, you know. And here's that female object of desire, and here's this male object of desire, because the the, the men I mean, are in a the well. It, it isn't it isn't like I'm denying, you know, the you know the, the other element, but it it seemed to me that. Um, um, it, you know, it pointed up something that's going on now that I don't think was there before, that I just don't think it was as much... It, it had another element besides um, a kind of narrative, and it wasn't... I, I didn't see it so much as imagery. It didn't seem that that was about imagery. It was about, it was about um, sculptural form, you know. Well, I do think that if artists are going to use so much film, they do have to make it something that involves a sense of touch and material. I mean... That's that's sort of what I thought he was doing with sound, right. you know. That you can't. That's that's the argument about that's For me, that's what keeps it away from being music video. For example, that there that there's something formal going on uh, that's beyond just a, a kind of narrative. And and what's interesting to me right now is that a lot of there's a lot of form making in film. That for some reason, it, I don't know why why that is. Um, there's more like color in film is very interesting vid or video is really interesting right now so it seems to me he's not a video artist he's not um, he isn't he's shooting on film he's shooting on film it seems to me that what he gives you is like a, a momentary kind of sliver of something that you would an experience you would have in uh, a big commercial movie house uh, but, but he's making a film that couldn't possibly be a film in a big commercial movie house. I, I don't think he needs to justify his use of the medium in uh, mediumistic terms. I think he's um, he's doing what he's doing in the only place he can do it, which yeah. is a, a fine art gallery. But what he's doing is not moving forward the language within the medium. He's doing something that's more about he's, emotion uh, and appropriation. sidetracking it. Well, I don't think that's sidetracking. I think if your, Joe wants to talk about sculpture, you might also relate him to Gober in a certain way. Well, I'll tell you the truth. I thought that, that um, the, well, I, I think of it as a chief film where the, you know, in the end he's, he's in that auditorium yeah. inside mm -hmm. the trail. I actually thought of, of, of this film for the, the film for the spiral jetty. The same way that, you know, it's a journey to this sculptural event, the mm -hmm. same way that, you know, the one character has a journey through this landscape into this thing that ends up, you know, coming up and spiraling, and there's this big light down on it, the same way the sun's in the middle of the spiral day. It's just what I went to from... I feel, I feel Joe is goading us with this sculpture thing, He's, but, but we're not really biting the bullet. We're not really uh, catching the bait here. To give that mixture of metaphors, but um, I don't, I don't understand what you mean by sculptural, Joe, in relation to to Eust's uh, work at all. I mean, I, I sympathise with the work. I find it interesting, and I happen to like sculpture. I don't see any connection between them at all. I thought he was um, sculpting figures with film. 
because of, of um, the way he was using the production values in, in, in moments of those films. Um, and you know, there's, there was... Um, Why is it being filmed not enough? Why the desire to make a transmedia analysis of it? Why not? Well, do most people who most filmmakers put people in their films now? Are they sculpting people, or are they just having people who are animating their films? I mean, uh, it's a chicken and egg. But I thought, really, you you, you're making a film and you use people. Uh, I mean, no. But if artists are going to use film in a in a gallery like that, they are going to do something different with it, and he is doing something different with it, and and that's part of you have to. They have to be able to convince you in that context. And I don't, you know, I don't think Joe is goading. No. Right. You know, and I'm not taking the bait because I actually agree with him. Mm-hmm. You know, that, it, that one way or another you're going to find all these p- painting references or you're going, to find, you're going to find film extended in a weird way and made more, more, more in space. Or more, mm-hmm. It has to be able to justify itself. Like you sit there, the image has a certain scale, you have a physical relationship to it. Mm-hmm. It's not and just it isn't like lost a movie. on the artist that yeah. the artist is fully. No, aware of the I th- no. The thing is, yeah. is that it it isn't just like he was he was spending a lot of money because he wanted to make a better film. I think right. it was more complicated. That's it. You know, it just I went away from the thing and I was thinking, you know, why these production values? It just it. Well, it, I, it, it, I let me make prediction. I I think he wants to make movies. I mean, I don't think he's I don't think he's looking for a new medium in order to uh, be more compelling within the art gallery. I think he's doing his best in the art gallery to give a very intense, rich, concentrated uh, kind of artistic experience that you couldn't possibly convey to a mass audience in a cinema. But give that guy $50 million and he'll go make a real I movie. I totally disagree. Yeah, I, um, this is like. I no, think this he's is really interested in compression and yeah. not making something that's long. I mean, they're under, you know, there's certain re- video it, or film, if it's going to work in this context, it can't be long. And he knows that and he has to keep you. At, you have to be riveted in a certain way on a lot of different levels. I wouldn't. I don't know. But it's, it comes down to the medium thing. That's why I say that. But is it your well, suspicious of suspicion of the medium that makes you say it? Like I'm not suspicious of him. That it can ever I'm, live in the gallery context. I'm not suspicious of him. I liked the experience. But I the medium, not experience. him, but the medium. And I love going to the cinema. I, I have no problems. You know, it, it's just a way of, of somehow um, you look at the work and you begin to uncover some of the structures that the artist is working with. I mean, Jason Rhodes you know, talks about Carl Andre and the fact that all the elements are equal. And you wouldn't see that, you know, you don't, it's the first thing you think of when you walk into a Jason Rhodes installation, <laughs> but it's part of this, it's one of the structures that he works with. You know, and I was, and I, it wasn't enough for me to have this kind of like quasi-sociological message about film with those films. And so, I, you know, I started to, you know, mess, you know, I just started thinking about them and it, it revealed more more than uh, it wasn't enough. Mm. So, you know, I, was, I ended up thinking that uh, the guy's really, really interesting. <laughs> let's, let's find out if our audience found him very interesting or found what we had to say misses the point. Um, anybody who's been to the Eust exhibition who, who, or who's had this discussion so far and is, is, is bursting to um, join in, now is your moment. And as, uh, just to repeat that we have this roving mic which helps us record you for posterity, although it doesn't help us amplify you this evening. So please do use it uh, at the front row here. Thank you. Second row. Hi. Um, I was just going to say that the panel was talking a lot about the formal aspects of the work, but I was wondering if you could comment a little bit about um, the content and about the, um, the younger man versus the older man, especially with the Lonely Villa 
Um, it seems like there's a little bit of the younger man maybe communicating with his older self or the older man maybe longing for his youth. So I was just wondering if you could comment a little bit about the content. Yeah, somebody wants Wait to ask Wait a this. minute. <laughs> Alexi was going to ask the same question, but no doubt inflected with a minor but all-important. Almost the same question. I, I, I was very impressed by um, those pieces, um, but I, I felt so strongly that there's all this formalist cleverness and a kind of a tightening of, of the genre of whatever you want to call it, video or short film or something, film. And, which is something I'm always kind of looking for and hoping for. And here was somebody who was so comfortable with, with the length and the constraints and had thought about every aspect of them. But I mistrusted and, and um, had a kind of lingering, um, I, I don't know, uh, uh, nervous feeling about whether you want to call it content or the, the kind of the sexual implications, the, the desire and identity stuff that mm -hmm. had been set up so ably and deftly and everything. And yet, I had a nervous feeling that the guy, the maker of the films, was probably straight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in other words, I didn't believe. Well, there's a new twist in anxiety. But that, that seemed to be overtly, you know, the heart of the films. I mean, you could argue, okay, it's not sexual; it's actually identity issues. But that too, I, I, I found myself thinking about where this work goes from here, and I'm enormously interested to see where it does because there's so, they seem so capable, but. But I wouldn't be surprised if that, that was the stumbling block. And, and does that make sense to the panelists? What's the that, though? What's the, the stumbling block? Some falsity about the, the kind of desire and inauthenticity. issues. A lack of sincerity and affected emotion in this very high, rich, high octane. That has found a kind of default content, but not Like desire is a trope rather than yeah. something heartfelt? Yeah. And that is a failure? Or? Right, I don't know about heartfelt. Might it be because the um, the kind of emotions that he deals with have already been so invested in the history of art and the history of film? The death in Venice uh, aspect in in the Lonely Villa was, I think, very strong. That that that's a degree to which it, there's where, where there could have been like a rich connection or a sense of tradition. There could equally be misconstrued or correctly construed, a sense of appropriation. Well, I think to speak to the first question, too, that you say um, the death in Venice aspect, or we speak of desire, it did occur to me on the second viewing the power dynamic just between older man and, and younger man, and that it doesn't have to simply be a homoerotically inflected desire. Um, although that was very much the first reading, was unfulfilled, sort of the... Um, Futility and perpetual fascination with romance seem to be the subject of it. I think, I think that the... Was going back, to, we've been rather obsessed about the uh, formalism or the formal relevant. aspects of the film, but Good. perhaps there's a, a sense of uh, the camera, and the higher the production values, the better, the camera kind of being a surrogate for... Um, uh, infatuation or, or, or longing or projection or desire that that um, that precisely the kind of <coughs> over the top richness of of um, value is a kind of way of representing the the, the sensation of the of, of of unrequited 
love or infatuation? I don't know. I found it pretty sincere, and I don't know. Some way, I mean, I think that the the strongest piece, the most inter interesting one, is bliss in heaven or yeah. heaven and bliss, and and just it was the end of that was so powerful, and I almost <laughs> felt that he that when that guy stood up and clapped, it was like he was inadequate to the force of the emotion that had been coming off the stage, and that, that in some ways the artist doesn't quite know what he's getting into yet. But I I thought there it was so ambiguous that. Um, I, 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 I didn't feel the need to nail it down. I just thought, uh, I don't know, it seemed very raw after all that polish that this guy finally just is sort of lying there on the stage. And it did seem to me to be in part about what the act of making art, making and receiving art, as oh, much as any kind of assignation, yeah. which definitely was there as well, but that... <sighs> Um, I mean, it did make me think of a, of a longer movie, <laughs> which is Mike Lee's Topsy Turvy, the Gilbert and Sullivan movie, which is just about the excruciating pain of life. I mean, in three or seven minutes, I think Heaven and Bliss was seven minutes, the um, you know, pain and failure to connect of, of human existence and the compulsion to express in the face of it. I mean, I don't know how many people are artists in the audience, and I'm not, and I may have an overly romantic view of what it is that drives people to make art, but I was... There. Yeah, I each was, one is a failure. Hmm? Each what? of them, there's this failure. Yeah. yeah. I, I found really it... a really strong I, emotion, and then just, you know, it's not... There's this break. <laughs> and it was funny. I, I was sort of embarrassed to laugh at the campiness, and then he pulled it out of that and turned it. I mean, the way melodrama is an amazing form, <clears throat> but a cinematic form. I guess for me, it, it, it is enough that it's film. And I'm excited to see um, artists succeeding in bringing film. I thought the, there was a the biggest failure for me in the presentation of the piece was in how much of a movie it was, so that even in the three minutes or the four minutes, in that dark, dark room, when someone came in, I was really pissed off. Um, <laughs> And, I, and by the same token, standing and watching, it's always a little, it's an annoyance ahead at MoMA if anyone's been to MoMA, that, oh, you know, cool. when they don't give you a bench, but, but they expect you to be there for a while. It's, um, you yes, know. there's some fundamental contradictions. There's a new museum, I believe, in Los Angeles, which is, uh, is particularly devoted to video, which has completely confronted that head-on and created but I feel that a wonderfully the comfortable... Um, I wanted to turn the chair in front of the Holbein... Thomas More today. There's one chair you can sit in, but it's facing the wrong direction. See, um, I, I don't, I don't know if, if, uh, if um, you know how the filmmaker likes to have sex um, is relevant. You're right, it's not. And I also don't see that film as being like any kind of necessarily progressive narrative. Even though I did compare it to the narrative in the Spiral Jetty film, at the same time, it seemed like that the one moment of the the the, the the chiseled, speaking of sculpture again, the chiseled figure with the raspy voice singing was kind of like surrounded by a couple of pieces of relatively conventional film narrative. And then that moment was almost like, you know, a collapsed, a couple of collapsed moments on top of each other. You know, it was kind of like, um, uh, you know, the, the other pieces of it were were one unit of film language, and then the, the the centerpiece was, you know, a couple of units, kind of like, you know, transparently 
happening at the same time. I thought it was really kind of wonderful, though, especially the second time, that, you know, that performance, or whatever you want to call it, I think of it as an event. Um, it, it was just a great invention, you know. I think we all agree on, on its richness and inventiveness. I think we can move on to an artist who's probably not likely to be castigated for excessive production values, and that is Richard Tuttle, um, whose uh, exhibition of recent drawings we've admired or not at uh, the Drawing Centre in Soho. Or both. Or both. Um, Who would like to kick off on, on, on the subtle Mr. Tuttle? <laughs> Perhaps I have kicked off by that horrible pun, but... Uh, oh, your turn for the pun. You've got to do a pun next. I do it every no, we've week. Had, we've had enough puns. Spare me. She's paid for her puns. No, yes, exactly. Um, Roberta. Didn't, haven't I already started once? Yes, you probably have. <laughs> Well, I certainly started the use, so... I definitely started the uh, Gilbert George. <laughs> well, I started the whole show. All right. <laughs> but I'll start Tuttle. Okay. Why do none of us want to start Tuttle? That's because we all feel ambiguous about Tuttle. I have another six I like Tuttle. So, you know, it's like... You do speak in nice, cogent paragraphs. I, I, uh, I volunteered to write about Tuttle for my newspaper and, um, because I felt I needed to find out what I really thought about Tuttle, because I, there are certain artists you know you love, and there are certain artists you know you hate, and there are certain artists you know they're important, and you have a real mixed feeling about, and so um, I, I, I went to my editor and said, yeah, Richard Tuttle is coming up, I'm going to do him together with uh, Kruger and Baldessari and the similar vintage, whatever. <laughs> and um, he said, well, but Lance, uh, Lance Esplan, my colleague on The Sun, he's, he's just already reviewed it, and I always embarrassed when my uh, editors find out I don't read the, the newspaper. And <laughs> I hear that. So I went online and I read what Lance had to say. He's an excellent writer. And he said, basically, I never quite know what I think about Richard Tuttle because uh, I feel when you describe the elements that I ought to hate it, he says, but and yet I find I love it. And sometimes I'm the other way around. I feel when you describe the elements of what the person's doing in terms of a very subtle manipulation and a sign of aloofness and a certain mysticism. Yes, I ought to love it. And then I find I find that he's one of those artists, like Robert Ryman, who's almost always always has me at the edge of a precipice that I, I, I can if I, I I want to feel I'm almost there and really admiring and loving it, but I'm gonna make a fool of myself if I do love it and I'm gonna miss a great opportunity if I don't. Um, they somehow they, this is the anxious object that, that Harold Rosenberg <laughs> describes uh, to a T uh, does anyone else have this kind of experience with Tuttle or are they just unambiguous lovers or haters of this artist uh. <laughs> <laughs> no. I wasn't I didn't like that show that much I mean I think you go I think Tuttle is really spotty and uh, I think he's a lot I was thinking about him today. I think he's sort of like Byers, James Lee Byers. I don't think he's anything like Ryman. I think Ryman has this kind of concentration and craft, and Tuttle is, is really not interested in that. He's always kind of, you know, making fun of you, fun, sort of poking at you to say, you know, take this as art, take this as art. And sometimes you just say, I don't want to take it. 
<laughs> and that that was sort of my feeling reaction to that show that it was just and I get really tired there's a kind of preciousness about it you know mm-hmm. that it's totally relaxed it's totally kind of nonchalant and and uh casual and made of different th- things found around the house or whatever and then it's presented like it's this amazing thing but you know, there are shows of his that I have loved. I've, I, I think the last show I really liked was actually a painting show at Speroni Westwater when it was still in uh, Soho. Mm-hmm. And I also have to say that I think I'm kind of irritated because I really hate his furniture, and which goes in another extreme, and I think, I think has a kind of megalomaniacal aspect to it that uh, is repressed in the sculpture and is something that makes me not quite believe it because I, I think all that modesty is 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 a kind of act yes that's the the subtle tuttle is is a very it's forced down our throat a bit isn't it andrea it is forced down our throat and i had two very different experiences of that show i saw it one day it was the first thing i saw and i tried to see it the day it opened when holland cotter wrote about it in the times and had been thwarted because it didn't actually open until saturday it was thronged with people and i really had i felt a strong reaction to it although there is always both a hermetic and a, and a preciousness um, almost a twee quality to title that i'm embarrassed to say but i've been liberated by roberta <laughs> feeling that i can confess um the sculptures none of them worked in the show for me at all. Never a fan of glitter. And I felt there were even some mean-spirited digs at other artists, like I couldn't help but see a Sarah prop and the twisted bricks. And But there were then moments for me that day, There, just as I'm thinking crumpled paper and um, all of the overly clever framing devices, the, the, um, this, the sort of, uh, what do I want to say... Um, you may think this is just kind of remnants and shards from the wastebasket, but no, look, it's you know I'm framing it and I'm framing it in seven different ways. But there, there, there's one drawing I can think of in particular that was just I thought the pencil drawings were stronger than the shavings and the crumples. Uh, there were moments, though. There are there is occasionally a drawing for me, um, not unlike the tantric drawings across the street, which kind of mm. stole the show. Mm-hmm. The wallpaper element in the Tuttle show I didn't care for at all, and I thought either in his own show or particularly in the Tantric show. Right. And it was a little bit like a peen on a tree for me. It's like, this is my show too. Um, <laughs> I have to say, reading the Times today, not to diss the paper of record, but <laughs> with him saying making money is almost as much fun as making art and the, the giant public project embittered me a little bit. Um, and the second time I saw the show was yesterday, and I... I was almost the only person in the room, and the whole show just felt like there was too much Tuttle, and I felt um, compelled to look at everyone. And But the one that had given me the joy gave me joy again, and it was a lovely little drawing that I could actually live with and sort of meet every day. And um, So I'm ambivalent. It appears to be my theme. Yeah. Joe, blatantly no. subtle? Uh I don't, I don't really think of him as subtle. Um, you know, I agree that his furniture is absolutely awful, um, that he's precious, that he's twee, um, and that the last show I really liked was the one at Westwater before they moved with the blocks stuck on uh, those other pieces of plywood. 
But at the same time, <clears throat> uh, you know, and I have thought about him a lot, but, you know, I just think that, um, well, first of all, you know, seeing the show um, was an experience that was very much like um, having these, these, these kinds of meals that I can't afford, where there's lots of, like, <laughs> vegetable foams and then, a, you know, a kind of... Uh, potato texture and you know but this is not a bad thing I think this is like it was like this incredible Nouvelle Cuisine meal that still you know you come away a little bit hungry because it's all about these little explosions of flavor you know as you make your way around the room but you know the thing is the stuff is like wonderful you know the way that he has his um his notepads that are that are um, placed in in one series on on foam rubber like this stuff, you know. This made me think of a Tuttle as soon as I came in yeah. here. Um, yes, it's, it's and, here so that when you bash your hands on the table, our sound editor hasn't ha doesn't have to spend hours editing uh, it out. But yes, um, it is and, Tuttle esque. And um, you know the way that the whole rhythm of the piece went through, you know, theme and variation, and um, you know he's a wonderful colorist. Um, you know the thing about him is is that you know he leaves he leaves me a little hungry but we don't have anybody else like this guy and I don't understand why I think that like Americans must be incredibly uptight because you know the work is like on on one level is so free so sensual so intellectual and um you know at the same time it's such a wonderful um you know, combination of qualities that you get, you know, it's it's one of the great sensibilities of the 20th century. It's Matissean, you know, and um, we have so little of it, and it's really our loss that, you know, I just don't understand why there aren't more artists well, I think doing you, anything like that. Do you think I, he achieves the sensibility or that he aspires to and references this sensibility? Um, you know, it's kind of like... Um, I'm not really too interested in, in um, wondering what their motives are, either like it works or if it doesn't. And he no, always he... works a little bit, you know. So the, the stuff the stuff I don't like about it, I mean, one of the things I did, it did occur to me this time is that the, the moments that I have in Tuttle, I, when I have, um, I get bigger moments from Nicola Di Maria and they're very similar moments. If you, that, that he hasn't shown, he hasn't shown that, that, that much here. But um, you know, it's kind of in the same territory. Playful. What about Hodgkin? Yeah. I, I was actually going to say that the wallpaper looked like Hodgkin meets William Morris. It I, does, but that's not good. That, that sort of potato cutout sensation of the wallpaper. I think he's really sensual and very um, and very cerebral at the same time. It's just such a funny mix. Well, I think you, you know? get that mix in someone like Thomas Noskowski, but with unwavering consistency of quality. Because he's just, because it's medium specific. It's painting. I mean, in Tuttle, there is this is your this is your drawing as sculpture. Medium. I love Tuttle best when he's working with a saw or a pair of scissors. I think the uh, very early slat pieces that were shown in the Whitney in the seventies. I included one in a show I curated called American Cutout. Was uh, was really sublime and really magical. Um, but at the same time, definitely keeps uh, ambiguous, keeping you at the. We very nearly had the man installing the exhibition use our precious Tuttle as a stick to mix the paint. I mean, it's a, it's a classic sort of, classic kind of uh, cliched story about, you know, is it art? But that's, that's great that it has that ambiguity. It has to. I mean, Tuttle is about ambiguity, isn't he? Invariably. 
ambiguity? Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think there's it anything unclear about what he's up to. But I think there's something unclear about the status of what he achieves. Well, you know, the one thing about all that stuff being really small is that it was the drawing center, you know, and, you know, when I saw the reproductions in the newspaper before I saw the show, um, you know, some of those little balsa wood pieces that looked so big in the paper and were so small, I thought, oh, oh, this is in the drawing center because this is actually kind of a model. This is like drawing scale or something. Mm -hmm. Did we find it I mean, useful and right that it was there at the drawing center? I mean, was it really drawing? I, I'm, it's, a, it's probably one of the most stuffy bourgeois questions one can ask. And to assume that a drawing has to be a pencil and lines on a piece of paper is, I know, of course, a terrible anachronism of thinking. But nonetheless, would we have, would we have, if we'd seen that show anywhere else, would, would the word drawing have come into our mind? Well, I think the idea of having a drawing center is kind of precious to begin with, to tell you the truth. You wanted to merge with the other? No offense, drawing center, but you know, it's like it's like taking one medium out of this, you know. Well, they do they do put on exhibitions that are quite magnificent and extraordinary, and are definitely about drawing. And drawing is, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the probity of art. But um, it's a great place. But I mean, just as a concept, it's 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 like the place is much better than the concept. many hundreds, if not thousands, of galleries in the city, and to have one that sets its remit as representing drawing doesn't really offend me too profoundly. In fact, it rather delights me. But um, we can agree to differ as gentlemen on that. Let's stick with Tuttle. Um, have, we, have, have our panellists had their fill on Tuttle? Or, Roberta, have you new thoughts since, since Well, I, think, I don't think he's ambiguous, because like, I think in a way he's like this, sort of this closet formalist and he's doing all... Closet? Well, he's worked... Because he uses so many different materials, and he's sort of saying, okay, just look at this, and okay, now just look at this. You know, that there are these different... I'm putting together this and this, and I'm going to do a little drawing or a little painting on it, and I just want you to see it and sort of forget what it is and then come back and remember what it is and go back and forth. And I find that very... You know, I don't find that ambiguous. I mean, I think his intent is to, to put this stuff together and say... You know, I want you to see that this works. And I, all I'm saying is I don't always see that it works. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, I think an incredible amount of what he's involved with is drawing. So it's perfectly in one form yeah. or another from the, from the beginning, you know, when, when he's putting wires on walls and things like that. So it makes perfect sense that he's... Because it's tentative and exploratory there. and linear? It's on paper. Well, it's improvisational. Yeah, there's a lot of paper, there's a lot of drawing. <laughs> you know, they're not always together, but it's okay. <laughs> How about our audience? Uh, anybody here bursting to, to come to the defense of the much maligned Tuttle? Or, Not the defense. Or, uh, anybody <laughs> bursting to say you've been too light on this, so-and-so? I mean, uh, Susan in the front row. Oh, dear. Okay, well, you'll hold it. Um, I've heard Tuttle talk, and I think he's in love with his own mind, and I think he is a conceptual artist. I've never liked anything he made. I think it's just a throwaway... I don't understand his career. I don't understand what he's doing. I thought you might help me out. You mean we haven't? No, no, I don't even know. I mean, I I, I don't. um, I found that show so dismissive. Yeah, (laughs) ugly, even. I thought it was about framing devices. I think he is confused about what he should be a sculptor, a drawer. 
know, I, I don't get any focus from him, and I don't find his his idea is no longer that interesting. You know, make it, make it small. Don't make it macho. Um, I mean, at a t point in time, you know, against Richard Serra, it looked okay. Yeah. Nice. He's not a macho man, but but I think he is. Um, I think he has a huge ego. Ego. Somebody mentioned megalomania. That was me. Yeah, I I I think he really is in love with his own mind. Okay, well... Uh, but the same could be said of Picasso. I mean, not to say the title's Picasso, but I don't know that I damn an artist for, yeah. for seeing well, in their work their, their Picasso, celebration. Picasso uh, actually made things that were exciting to look at. But that wasn't why he was in love with his own mind. So <laughs> <laughs> the megalomania is one thing, and making great art is another, and right. sometimes it's a Venn diagram, sometimes they overlap, yeah, and this, sometimes this they don't. Doesn't, so, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand... Uh, Susan, sorry. Yes. Well, I don't, not, I don't think there was any voices. mistake in the fact that they had the um, the tantric drawings across the way while that show was up, because I think that's one of the influences on his work, and I think that a lot of that work is is based in um, you know he walks. It, it, the thing that's interesting about the work is I think he he bases his work on you know high art. You know, uh, from from different cultures and things like that. It, it, it's it's more of um, you know very casual abstractions of museum art than what I think anybody else we talked about so far is coming from, which is much more of a high a high low thing. He's you know there's an element of of the Mandarin there, and I think that it's counteracted by the seeming casualness of the materials and the presentation. Um, but I think that um, you know it's very informed mm. abstraction. And, and <laughs> yes, but it's also I think a point worth making is that you know he lives out there in New Mexico and uh, has that thing going with Agnes Martin and and to hear him talk, there's a lot always a great deal of reference to kind of mystical uh, experience. I don't think that there's any. Any question that there's a kind of uh, intended uh, Zen layer to the um, slightness and lightness of being that that, um, that 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 we can, if we want to, savor in his work. There's a gentleman there in the tie who's going to. I was just wondering how how one would compare Tuttle with uh, Joseph Cornell. That's an excellent uh, excellent observation, Joseph Cornell. Uh, Let's think about it and take one or two more comments. There was somebody... <laughs> it's not a fudge. It's not a fudge. A, there was a lady behind... Uh... With title, I think you go down the rabbit hole with him or you don't. And hmm. um, I'm, I'm amazed at the criticism in, in terms of the repetition as compared to the Gilbert and George conversation because he's a, sustaining this place of investigation that is really hard to do after having done it for so many years. And the casualness that we're talking about, there's much more of it that has grown up around him in younger artists, and so we see it differently. There are failures, and that's one of the pleasing things about it. Um, the other thing is that there is a kind, there's a struggle with power and ego, and the work can be very passive-aggressive. And I think that it's exciting that he's taking on a huge project, because he's going to have to deal with the power of that, of the money, of the space, of inhabiting something a bit more permanent. Thank you. Thank you. 
more more comments um, on Tuttle. Uh, yes, uh, Ken, uh, if you can get the mic over to him. Uh, I, I sort of feel like there's, there's, like we all want a Tuttle, like there's not a better Tuttle, so we've got Tuttle. person that kind of elevates our consciousness in some way, and yet we're disappointed when we actually see the work because it doesn't deliver that. But that, that sort of hagiography in the Times today conveys that feeling, I, I think. But I don't know what it means, but... Isn't it because, say, Joseph Cornell, whose name has been mentioned, gives us that tight preciousness and, and aestheticism, but it works, partly because of the intensity of desire that it conveys, and partly because the guy has just of his own just had that magical touch when you actually take an artist who then makes a formalist thing out of magical touch and puts it in quotes all the time um it's it's constantly going to have you teetering on the edge of your seat wanting the magical touch and constantly having you fall off your seat because um the, the magical touch is being denied you in some way but i think that cornell a total <laughs> connection is again a little like the ryman total connection yeah. for me i mean Cornell is totally focused, and he has this, he has this very coherent vision, and he makes extremely finished objects, even though you sort of see where they all come from. I st- I think I really think Tuttle is sort of like Byers. There's this sort of idea of he's he's he is a kind of performer. He's he's performing being an artist, and that's what irritates us. And he's constant, and he's constantly leaving you with the idea that he might be fake. I mean, I think he's a much better art, artist than Byers, but I have have a really similar reaction. Like, this is this is a stand-in for something that should be a little more solid. Um, and sometimes it, it is. You know, sometimes he just hits it. Well, I don't. Um, I'm not looking for a tuttle, and this is all I got is tuttle. I want lots of tuttles. I want plenty of tuttles, you know, every variation possible, not one at all. I think that there, like I said at the beginning, there's not enough sensuality, there's not enough intellect, there's just a lot of stuff in the middle. I have two names of young artists that I think, um, whose work has an incredibly strong affinity with Tuttle, and that's uh, Getty Saboni, do you know that work, who Mm -hmm. was in a group show at the Drawing Center this summer and had a show at Canada, an artist who has a show up right now at Frederica Taylor, Lisa Siegel, just... Hmm. To let you know. Well, off the top of my head, um, if there's anybody that compares to him, probably it'd be Tony Fair. Tony Ferrer and he More were included together in a, in a show with Brent Sickerman. Who was the third one? Remind me of the name. Those wonderful little boxes, painted colors. Nancy Shaver. Nancy Shaver, thank Shaver. you. Yeah. Nancy Shaver was the name I was going to come up with as the uh, Tuttle... Um, Another Tuttle. It's, it's, I would almost see Tony too. Fair as the but middle put point my, between Cornell and... I put, you know, I, I, all those artists, is they do the same trick over and over again. Uh, Which Tuttle doesn't. Tuttle, Tuttle makes a fetish out of not... Like, he might do it, he point. might say, okay, I'm going to do this trick now for a series, but then he, he won't. So that's mm-hmm. part of how he keeps his mystique going. And perhaps it's also part of how he keeps the lack of satisfaction uh, going as well, because uh, what, what can appear in a slightly cynical view as being a repetition of the same trick can, when you actually enter into the formal experience of it, be taking you deeper and deeper into a, a real place. I do want to move on to McKenney, uh, Sarah McKenney, showing at uh, Schlesinger, uh, just down the road from here, um, uh, the last show that uh, we'll talk about this evening. 
And I'm not going to kick off because I did kick off with Tuttle. Um, Andrea, tell us, tell us how you got on with um, uh, Sarah McKenna. I'll kick off um, joyfully. Really uh, beautiful work and kind of an antidote to the Chelsea syndrome, the, the sprawl um, of the spaces, the MoMA, 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 where I just was four times in like 10 days. Um, I didn't, hadn't known the work before and was just delighted to discover it. Really, I mean, painting, she works with um, egg tempera, and I see it as just sort of coming all the way from, I was at the Frick before being here and looking at a, a Botticelli and seeing the quality of color and light and sense of, um, you know, this compressed space that just gives you the world. Her paintings are about her own life and the the... I made a comparison to the movie Sideways. It's not the greatest comparison, but if anyone's seen the much-praised Sideways, life as it's really lived, just the, the dailiness of it, and not the way Pop took the everyday and kind of made it a superstar, but really just what it is to live moment to moment. I thought they're formally beautifully rendered, and just the content was very... It felt profound. There's also... Um, there was such a political moment in art in August and September. There was such a galvanized community around Kerry, getting Kerry elected. And um, I had a, a real concern. I'd really like to see people remain politically engaged, and just because Bush is the president, to not sort of throw up our hands for four years. Um, I saw this work as, I think it's hard sometimes in a daily life to both live a life and, and feel politically engaged. And this seemed to me to be work about what that is, you know, to, to live in the world in an everyday way, because um, she embeds little references, stop, stop Bush is stenciled on the gallery, or no more Bush shit is stenciled on her, the floor of her studio. Um, just beautiful, I thought subversive and sublime, really strong work. Anybody feel that they came out the gallery? Uh, I actually did come out the gallery with with with, with similarly um, strong sensations, but I did know the work already and am a committed fan. Um, but uh, Joe, um, are you going to join this club? Um, <laughs> well, I have a disclaimer. Um, uh, I don't. I never met Sarah. I don't remember her. I think we were in art school at the same time together. We were somebody I was online with told me that I was, was in school with. Don't you remember Sarah? And um, I don't. Um, but, you know, that's my fault, probably. Um, but, you know, I went to art school in Philadelphia at the same time and ran screaming from Philadelphia as soon as I got the first sniff of what it's like to be a provincial and got up here as soon as I could. Before you sniffed now, New York, though. Yeah. Now, Sarah took a different route and became a provincial artist, which is kind of like what the work is about in a way, is you know the delights of being a provincial artist, I think. Um, as far as the work itself goes, you know, I thought there was you know beautiful moments, nice color, um, but maybe I'm, you know, uh, um, uh, my prejudices... Um, Put me in, put me in opposition to the work on in a lot of ways. Uh, um, I um, one of the things that really bugged me is the fact that um, I was thinking about 
you know, the idea of, um, you know, observing your neighborhood and, and the observation of a city and things like that. And I couldn't help thinking about Rudy, Rudy um, Burkhardt's cityscapes, which are, you know, kind of unschooled in, in the same way. And um, I kept in Sarah's work, Miss McKeany's work, Mc, McKinney's work. Um, I kept tripping over the, the representation of, of anchor fencing, which seemed to be kind of like it was driving me crazy. It's like, look, if you're going to keep painting this stuff, get it right. Um, so, um, you know, I think that formally the paintings are made out of this kind of painting is made out of moments where you come up with a code for how you're going to represent things. The best example of it is somebody like David Hackney. He comes up with a, a code for how um, pool ripples are going to be represented in a mountain and, and, and this. And what kept happening in the way these, these works were assembled for me is some of the codes worked and then some of them didn't. So the paintings ended up being a collection of moments, some more successful than others. Was that your experience, Roberta? Well, I like her work a lot, but I tend to see it as what I would call a guilty pleasure in a certain way. I don't think it, I don't think it has a big ambition. Doesn't and and I think that its relationship. You know, I, I love folk art, so that there's a kind of naivete in that work that I like, and then the fact that she's a completely educated artist. Um, but I still I, I, I like them well enough, and they give me real pleasure. And I also thought that she was trying to figure out. I thought the paintings on the left-hand side of the gallery, where she was using more white, and I just I just what, when I first walked in, I thought, yeah, she's got this one good painting going, and they're now they're all going to be like this. And then I I became more convinced as I looked at them, and I thought the ones along the right-hand wall were sort of trying to deal with. Opening things out, maybe it's, maybe I'm being simplistic because they just had more white in them, or uh, that it wasn't all about those putting together all these little textures and things. Um, I think you know she's in her work the way ironic, you know, strangely the way Gilbert and George are completely in theirs. I mean, it's her mm. her right. whole story is all, is really what she's painting, um, and I and. And her work is sort of political in the way theirs is that she's just that's just what's in her view. Um, no, I, I ended up liking it with reservations. I, it's curious to me that actually she comes from Philadelphia, and because an, an artist, another artist I'm interested in at the moment, uh, his work I'm obliged to look at because I'm reviewing a, one of his last show is uh, Scott Kahn, who. Um, or was that the Pennsylvania, UPenn? Was that were you at UPenn or was it, was it some other school? At the time it was called PCA. Aha. Uh -huh. Right. Now it's University of the Arts. Right, University of the Arts. Well, maybe it's, it's, one can't um, uh, force a rule out of uh, two examples, but here are two artists of a similar generation, Kahn and uh, McKenney, uh, both uh, incredibly well-schooled in prestigious institutions in uh, the city of brotherly love, and both who make work about themselves in this sort of uh, quasi, um, quasi grandma Moses um, idiom, um, but uh, with, with varying degrees of uh, finesse and accomplishment. McKenney's work just gives me pure pleasure. I don't quite classify it as Roberta does as a guilty pleasure, but on the other hand, I don't want the world to be populated by too many McKenney's. I'm, I'm happy that there's, there's one and she's in 
Philadelphia doing her thing. Um, um, but I wonder there isn't a very interesting connection uh, with Tuttle, uh, because they're both um, <laughs> incredibly sophisticated and aware artists who are finding a way to instill in their work a sense of the unschooled without, um, without making fools themselves or us because, of, because you know, we, we can't really be uh, expected in the early 21st century uh, to take seriously the notion of our brute, which is just a completely mid-20th century fallacy. I mean, there's no outsider art, really. Um, uh, you know, once once it's being made, it's being looked at, and once it's being looked at, it's got rules and it's obeying rules and what have you. I, I find it very energizing that somebody can um, instill in her painting a sense of uh, reinventing the wheel every time she's looking at something, and at the same time, at the same time, of course, coming up with tropes, but uh, and and and. Uh, Devices and, and, and techniques, as, as Joe identifies, but that is that is as natural as seeing fresh is natural. I I, I find the um, uh, ability to produce uh, fresh contemporary um, images that's that, that, that's using um, painting in that very compressed way and and a sort of drawn painting um, is 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 inspiring. Don't all leap on me at once, please. No, you're making me want to change my mind. Okay. Um, That's a shame, because you, no. you liked it. But no, I do like it. No, I'm saying you're making me like it. Like it more? Yeah. Oh, great. She but feels guilty think... for feeling guilty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I also think that the more interesting comparison is not with Tuttle, but with an artist like Dana Schutz, yeah. for whom the kind of folk art thing is just is something that she's absorbed, and along with a lot of other stuff, and and is trying to digest and make it uh, different, you know. But but to use it and not <laughs> to parlay it in a certain way. Because you you mentioned Botticelli, um, Andrea. Um, the Ocularis, the blue painting mm-hmm. that has the coral. It's a painting of a pool that's all. Well, you saw the show, correct? Sort of a cerulean blue. There, the the. Coral, the palette of that is ex- just was in this resurrection painting at the Frick. It's a purely formal, um, and I'm forgive me because she's actually here, which I find a little disconcerting oh, really? to know, <laughs> but Oops. I believe that it's true. Well, and um, though we've never met, uh, and I'm not saying that Sarah's the new, you know, the, the Botticelli of the 21st century, but um, <coughs> I did mention it anyway. I guess I was defending my mention, but I interrupted you. No, no, I. Uh... Well, I mean, instructors at Yale have already told their students that um, John Curran draws better than Botticelli, so uh, we don't necessarily know what value Botticelli has these days anyway. But, um, I guess that we don't like uh, John Curran. Uh, but uh, you mentioned Botticelli, and it just occurred to me that, you know, Botticelli had achieved an incredible finesse and pitch as a Renaissance artist, and then, somewhat under the influence of Savonarola, uh, deliberately turned back on the advances, the hmm. advances in perspective of the High Renaissance, uh, to reinvest a sense of uh, spirituality, urgency, and authenticity in his work. And the resurrection that you mention is a work with the, which has 
is you know is, a, is an early example of mannerism because it's um, it's it's turning back the turning back the clock stylistically. Um, That's interesting. Is that a, is that part of the problem for you, Joe? The sort of affected retro. Um, well, put it this way: I'm I'm not positive, but um, one of the um, painting teachers there um, was a guy named Larry Day, who was very much involved oh, in. Yeah specifically in figures in um, rooms and or, or in, in kind of like a closed environment like the Botticelli at the Met, whose name I can't remember right now. That's a very Larry Day painting. And I saw a lot of, um, you know, the influence of um, his teaching, I'm, I'm assuming, in her work. Also, um, uh, 18th century um, in, uh, Indian miniature, miniature interiors. That, yeah, um, Very much. You know, and you know that's one of the things that was kind of making me crazy is that it was kind of like, forgive me, but I couldn't help thinking of George Bush being sophisticated underneath and kind of down home on top. Mm. And I thought, you know, you think he's sophisticated underneath? I think he's well. I, I think, think he's, he's got it behind him. You know, I, I, I thought, shadows. and I thought, you know, there's something about this work that is like making a lot of people that don't like it. It's kind of like this work appeals to a lot of people for what it isn't. Um, ah, yes. Well, there's, you know, that, there's always going to be the danger of work that you like appealing to somebody else you don't like for the wrong reason. But I don't think you can, <laughs> like, go around torturing. That's a big cross to carry around the art world if you're going to, you know... No, no, that's, it's, it's different, though, because it's kind of like um, uh, what, that, what the art isn't about is very, very broad. I mean, you know, because it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's very much about um, not being sophisticated. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but yet we can see that it's intensely sophisticated. You've mentioned some of the references, which are definitely there, like to like to uh, mm-hmm. miniature painting and to the American naive tradition, but also to Renaissance painting. It's all there. And for those of us who who there. who know that history and come to it and see it there, it's not some wink wink thing. Oh, Sarah and I know that it's there, but some schmerl down the road who's going to pay for it <laughs> is not, and a George Bush supporter is naive enough not yeah, to realize I know, but it. I don't, think, I don't know if we're getting that. I don't know if we're getting that when we see, you know, bricks on the side of a wall kind of like, you know, going every which way and the way the, the buildings in the distance, the windows start sticking out on the surface and move off at an angle. I mean, that almost, that almost seems like um, something, you know, people keep asking, you know, all along here is like, is this artist sincere? Is that artist sincere? And, you know, there's something that seems to me kind of stilted, you know, about those kinds of decisions when I can see, uh, you know, the other, the, these, these other things going on in these paintings. I mean, I just didn't buy it. You know, I, I um, you know, it's, it's kind of, there was something adamant about those choices that it's almost like I had to come I thought no matter what I do in this painting I keep uh, it, you know it's, it's like I'm being brought back to this person's self I'm not allowed to get to the depiction I'm getting mm-hmm. I'm, it, the personality refuses to um, step aside and let me see what's being represented here it's like and that's what I think comes out of, of the way that style is almost kind of adamantly reinforced in that 
Even though there's, there's, there's moments of description that it doesn't happen, I kept being brought back to the personality of the artist. And, I'm not, and so that was the, that was the thing that, that, that came off ultimately in the work. And that's what I, I thought the problem was. Not so much that the craftsmanship was faulty, mm -hmm. but the craftsmanship was, was giving me a message um, about uh, was bringing me, was bringing me to this kind of self consciousness that um, I, that got in the way of looking at the picture. Well, that's a, a severe, but in my opinion, very penetrating criticism. It's yeah. having me rethink as well. So uh, I think it's a good time to bring in the audience and let's have some comments from the floor on uh, McKennany. Please, I, we're not going to seek to confirm or deny the rumor that she's with us. We're going to carry on with our conversation. Um, it may be none of my business, but the painting of the Frick is by Botticini, not Botticelli. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's absolutely your business. Along the same lines, it's Sarah McEnany. Not Mackini. Oh, whatever. I'm Andrea. And, um, <laughs> I believe she did go to PCA, but not in the painting department, so she wouldn't have studied with Larry Day. Okay, thank whatever. you. <laughs> okay, lots of points of order here that are <laughs> certainly putting some of us in our place. I have to speak to Graham about editing out the line where I say, yes, the Botticelli. I knew you were that. <laughs> <laughs> I felt a little vindicated, frankly. <laughs> um, yes, I think, I think if they were larger, they would seem, seem to be more uh, estimable, and, which they are, but because they're small, uh, they're not so impressive. But the quality would be uh, uh, discernible more readily if, if you could see them in a large size. In other words, if you saw Picasso's uh, Demoiselle d'Avignon or the three musicians in one, you know, one foot square or six inches square, it might be something interesting, but it's not uh, estimable. Hmm. I think this is, is estimable, and if it were larger, it would be seen to be such. Yes, of course, if it were larger, the whole issue of handwriting and uh, will be fundamentally different, uh, in my opinion, but that's a very interesting comment. Thanks. Uh, lady at the back. I just want to respond to that comment about them being estimable or not estimable. I think the choice of the artist's medium, in this case, the use of egg tempera, is conscious in that tempera is a medium that cannot really be stretched across a large physical space unless you're adding other kinds of medium to it. So the medium and the choice of medium is, I think is intertwined with the scale in that sense and I think it wouldn't work if she were to use the same medium at a larger scale. Yes. Um, more comments? Yes, there's plenty on McKenna. Yes, the lady there. Um, I just want to put a positive on that. I totally agree with the medium issue. And I'm wondering, um, for Joe, what the issue is in terms of the consciousness of the artist when in the beginning of the night that was seemed like that was the high point, that these guys just kept coming back and back. And um, The other thing is in terms of the depiction and the formulaic stuff, it's very much an act of devotion, of a kind of petting of surface and a repetition of form. And so I'm not sure if the imagery 
needs to be any more legible than it actually is, and how uh, you know finely painted anyone uh, wall is may not be the issue, but it's m I think more about a kind of devotion and accumulation, both of stuff and of stroke, and of things in her life. That's really the the kind of corridor that I look at the work in. The other thing for Joe is I, I would ask about the production value issues that you discussed earlier and how that relates to the production value issues you have now. Earlier in the night, the sort of low down to production value seemed you know, attractive to you w with other means and now, and now I'm not sure how that works in terms of what you see here. And also the whole okay. provincial thing. I think the provincial part of it is fabulous. It's probably the most, one of the most exciting and redeeming parts of the work that um, we forget the most of the work that we see in New York is incredibly provincial and we forget that. So when we see work from another, and, and you have an insight, and if I had seen something from Boston, I would have the same kind of dogging issues of seeing teachers or local references that most New York people wouldn't, that Sarah, McEnany is uh, capable of bringing to the fore some of the issues in her art community. I think it's really great for us. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, well, Joe, we'll come back. To answer that? Well, we'll, we'll hear one or two more comments on the floor and then we'll, we'll round up. So, um, is, is there anyone else bursting on the floor to, to speak? Uh, <coughs> the gentleman there. I would just like, uh, you could answer this with your answer too. Uh, what is so damn interesting about a tiny little personal memoir to most of the people up there? What is so damn interesting what, about it? God, what, sorry? We have a lot of art, and this is, I think this is one of these examples is, um, you know, you, you kind of describe the paintings as being, it's this world, it's this everyday world, it's, it's, and, I, and I think it's related to somewhat of this memoir cult that goes on in books too, mm -hmm. you know, where it's this one memoir after another mm -hmm. of anecdotal uh, things that really, I mean, for me, I don't really care that much about like each and every individual's little story. Did you see on the, the show? The no. <laughs> I did not. No, but I can. Yeah, you know, I, I'm yeah. pretty good. I'm a pretty good reader. I can tell what's going on. With oh, really? That's part. that's marvelous. We wish yes. you. We wish we had your faculty. Uh, lady in the front row. Um, it would save a lot of time. We could do all our work at home. It'd be marvelous. Could, the Jason Blair School of Criticism. <laughs> well, well, for one thing, I mean, I I found that charming, which is a word that you don't hear, but they were, and they're they're honest. And um, it's interesting because I didn't find them self-indulgent, and I did find the Richard Tunnels rather self-indulgent, a lot of them. I mean, he could have edited himself out. Now, when she's painting, um, they're evidently very painstaking. From what I understand, she takes only paints 18 paintings a year or something like that. Egg temper is slow, but I, I think that she's careful about how she inserts herself into this, these paintings and her world. And, you know, they're, they have a lot of vitality and energy, and I, I feel they're very honest. And when you walk into a gallery and you get a visceral um, response to paintings like that, um, it's, an, it's a nice thing. 
great. David, the one thing I can respond to, just, just, just to make um, right off the bat, is that um, when I said provincial, I didn't mean it as criticism. No, I didn't take it as such. Um, no. And New York is provincial, yes. But you know, the, one of the things about the, the work is about being a provincial. It is about being provincial in a, in a uh, much a sense of time as place, isn't it? It's a question of standing back from uh, the, the, the main thrusts and concerns of art. I mean, uh, uh, but at the same time, I think, uh, you know... Wait, but what are the main the greatest, concerns of Well, art? precisely, the greatest <laughs> moments... I was about to say, you know, that the, oh, the God, great innovators are usually those who, who at, at, at a moment, seem provincial. I mean... Certainly, T.S. Eliot would have seen provincial in certain ways and, and, and was provincial in certain ways, but uh, used that to um, project his medium forward. And that's, that's why we, we, we love New York, but we love New York for embracing the rest of uh, the country and the world and bringing us treasures from uh, New Mexico and Denmark and Philadelphia uh, and London. Well done. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>